Hey, it's Courtney Barriger, your host of Environmental Style Now, the A to Z podcast on all that is sustainable fashion. On this episode, actor-activist Adrian Grenier is here to talk about the dire need for ocean conservation and what we can do to realign our relationship with the environment. I'm Courtney Barriger, and this is ES Now. Today, I'm excited to have guest Adrian Grenier share some poignant and actionable steps that we can take toward healing our relationship with the environment. Because let's face it, it's an unhealthy relationship. Okay, Grenier has been walking the walk for over 20 years, and he's the co-founder of Lonely Whale, a nonprofit that aims to bring oceans closer to home. Lonely Whale partners with creatives, scientists, brands, influencers, and organizations in order to create campaigns that bring awareness to plastic pollution, overfishing, and all manner of man-created problems for the oceans. Let's jump right in. Right before the pandemic, climate change was front and center in the news. I climate feel like. who? The climate crisis. Oh, oh, I heard about that. Yeah. That's yeah. That used to happen back before. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of old news. I think it's no longer relevant. No, obviously it is. I just wonder how we're going to approach that coming out, if we're going to learn anything, watching the carbon emissions go down, or if society will just bounce right back. No, it's not going to change us. We're built on this economic system. In order for us to change, we have to change the roots, the, the system itself, which I don't know if it's ever been done. If a society has changed itself so fundamentally while still existing. Throughout history, the only time a regime or a system changes is if you entirely break it down and destroy it. Yeah, total revolution. But that's fucking painful and everyone's gonna lose their stuff and their safety, their sense of security. But if you can't change the system, then you can always, my thought is, as far as sustainability goes, replacing some of the items that we use and already consume with better ones that are less harmful for the environment. We have a million bajillion plastic products, but we're slowly, little by little, replacing them with PLA and these alternatives that are compostable. So if you can't change the system itself, maybe you can, can change just what we consume. I see it from a couple of different perspectives. There's sort of immediate tactical uh, imperative to like address some of the systems at play that are creating real damage in real time, often irreversible, irreparable. So we need to deploy tactics to prevent that at all costs, if possible, stop it, delay it, whatever. Like using within the system that exists today. So think, um, sea Shepherd, right? Or stopping the pipeline, you know, or living in a tree to save the forest, that kind of stuff. That's like real activism stuff. I think that certainly plays a role. And then there's where I'm sort of operating from right now. Well, then there's a second part, rather, which is 
now create new systems, which would replace the old system. New materials, PLA, any number of other, you know, upcycle, recycled, change um, supply chain, closed loop systems, like create new systems. That's another tier. And then there's a third tier, which is transforming ourselves on a human to human level. Who are we? What do we dream of at night? What do we want to build for ourselves? What gives us deep satisfaction and fulfillment? So that it's not linked to you know, the American dream or capitalism. If we can uncouple it from, I'm going to be happy when I have stuff and things. It's like a philosophical um, reset. 100%, right? And so, because there's always going to be resistance to the other two things if the human being's uh, well-being or sense of self is linked to the benefit of the previous systems. You know, I guess it's a sort of basis for what's going on with the white privilege or anti-racism movement, where it's not just about the systems, it's also about can we inspire people to look at themselves and how they benefit and like question whether or not that's who they are, or can they change their value system and sort of look at their privilege and reject that privilege for a deeper humanity-based sense of how they are connected to the world. Black Lives Matter, Me Too, environmental movement, they all have the same root in our fundamental identity, who we are and who we want to become. And I believe the solution is going to be a spiritual one, ultimately. And once you transform that at the core of all of us, all the other symptoms, all those things just go away. What are some tools that you can use to reset your system spiritually? I mean, it's, it's as individual as, you know, the American dream. I don't think there's one tool, but I think what we have a collective opportunity right now to make those changes, as you were saying before, COVID has given us all a break from ourselves enough to perchance take a look at ourselves for just a moment before it comes rearing back into full gear and then we're in hypnosis again. Personally, it's meditation, it's reading ideas of new philosophies and like also borrowing from existing philosophies and spiritual religious ideologies. I think all religions have a lot of wisdom to them as well. Then plant medicines and to give you a, a book list for myself, but maybe you don't even have to read. Maybe you could just be predisposed to it. Some people are just born maybe more awakened their life experiences giving them perspective enough but it's also linguistic in nature we're a very verbal based intellectual science-based egocentric society right where we're like it's stuck in our words and ideas as truth we get so proud of ourselves that we can string a, a sentence together and then we latch on to it and we argue with each other and then there are panels on both sides of an argument on television and we see the world in sort of this dichotomy and it's maybe more challenging for a human to think in multilateral ways. I think practice, training, exploring and those kinds of things. Also coming back into the body and the heart and feeling space and recognizing the truth of that. Because this is all projections and memories that don't exist and haven't yet existed. And this is the only thing that is. And so unless we're really feeling and being able to have a sensorial experience of what is, how are we going to assess the world, right? And how are we going to make decisions going forward? Yeah, everything becomes theoretical or abstract or, you know. Yeah, it's probably one of the reasons that we've lost touch with nature and have gone so far 
over the edge as far as completely exploiting the natural world and letting it fall apart before our very eyes. If we were more heart-centered and body-centered, we'd be more connected to nature. Absolutely. Yep, this is, I think, a coming home of sorts. You know, yeah. Reconnecting or correcting for our disconnect to our true nature, which is nature itself. Are there any, any facts that have surprised you along the way since you've been doing activism? It has surprised me. I mean, I mean, every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's intense. That's an intense piece of information. Um, but I think about them, I've since become desensitized to them. and They've become just now factoids for a campaign or something. You know, more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050 type stuff, or more PPE than fish in the ocean, you know, by you know, the end of the century or something. Then, you know, our oceans are, I think, over 70%, if not more at this point, 70% as of a couple of years ago, overfished. It surprised me. We kill 100 million sharks every year. Wow. I'm loosely quoting these stats, but I think that there have been like, less than 20 shark-related deaths in the last 10 years or something like that. I mean, there, sharks have, you know, taken a finger or maybe more, but deaths. So that disparity between 100 million sharks every year and then, you know, such a small number, one or two deaths per year for the past 10 years is put things into perspective. The link between ocean degradation, shark fin trade, and other precious marine wildlife trade, and narco-trafficking is enormous. A lot of illegal activity is carried out by people who are dealing drugs illegally and smuggling drugs. And it's no wonder because they're already doing illegal shit. They have all the infrastructure. So might as well just add another commodity to their enterprise. And of course, it's all linked to poverty and people trying to survive. And so that starts to open up the idea of intersectionality and how all environmental Degradation is linked to the way we treat our own most vulnerable in our society. And they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of all of the environmental destruction. It all comes back to the same thing, which is we need to reconnect with ourselves, each other, and the natural world. So my focus is on sustainable fashion. And I know that the fashion industry is guilty of many, many crimes. As far as microplastics and lint going into the oceans, do we have any stats on that? Is anyone really following that? Yeah, I don't know the stats on microfibers, but it's in the billions and trillions, I think, of bits of microfibers into the ocean every year. I've actually read recently that it's so bad that it actually goes up into the airstream, sort of like this Saharan dust storm that we just had and lands everywhere, on top of the mountains, into the rivers, on the plants. Huh. Yep, yeah. they're that small. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Right. Plastic everywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're definitely, um, when they're coring through the ice in Antarctica, they'll find no plastic, and then suddenly layers, thin layers of plastic in the ice sheets when plastic was first introduced. So what can we... Yeah, what can we as a society do better to fix this problem? Yeah, well, you said something. You said, what can we do to save the earth or something you said? I personally would encourage you to not use the word save because 
it's linked to our disconnect from nature where we put ourselves above nature or we thought we could imperialize exploit dominate the way dominion over nature pour a bunch of concrete control it so that we you know control the seasons and all of the mechanisms so that we aren't a victim of the chaotic seemingly unrelenting fear that we had of the unknown and death right so we poured a bunch of concrete and tried to control it this idea that now we need to save the earth is i think a continuation of that same mentality so besides the first two things which is stop immediately all of the actions if we can if we can do anything to allow for some relief great don't buy fast fashion wear your underwear for 10 years straight like any number of those things you know okay good create new systems work with sustainable companies companies that are trying to do things differently but then i always come back to that third most what i think is the most important which is transform the way you approach the problem don't look at it as some sort of there's so much arrogance in environmentalism everybody comes and they're telling you what to do and they think they got the answer and meanwhile they're you know they turn around and they're causing as much destruction because they have blind spots so can you be as present as sentient as sensitive as possible meaning like you expand your awareness beyond your your arrogance and what you think you know find your own blind spots and i can't tell you how many ocean conservation galas i've been to and it's just like oh would you like the salmon sir or would you like the tilapia you know oysters on a hash like not that everyone has to be vegan but kind of undeniable that eating fish is problematic knowing the stats eating meat is problematic knowing how destructive that industry is and unless you're absolutely only buying from sustainable sources and you know for a fact then it's you know then you have to question whether or not you really mean business you know the the way we approach the problem and the language we use is it from a place of knowing is it a place from arrogance or is it relenting and softening and reintegrating with the parts of us that are wild and natural and show some deference to the natural world get out of our conditioning of being in this capitalist culture do you really need to go shopping online today are we really going to self isolate until we're lonely and and disillusioned so that we like go and create harm a lot of the things we see in all the violence and i think is the same thing it's destruction are we going to be more destructive self-destructive anti-social anti-social or anti-environmental or do we find that this communion with nature so precious so important so life affirming that we want to like double down on it that we wouldn't want to do the thing that would hurt the thing across the world because we feel so connected to it I find that revelations happen sometimes. You have epiphanies and you have this out of worldly experience where you feel at one with everything and you agree, you know, oh wow, I really understand why I shouldn't eat meat. But then life Yeah, life <laughs> happens again and you fall right back into your habits. It's almost like you need a set of practices or something that once you have the awareness and once you have this heart opening moment, the ability to continue to practice it is also really important and part of the struggle I think that is forgotten about unraveling it is the work. Yeah. And we haven't even had those rites of passage and those religious spiritual conditionings. We praise the almighty dollar and we 
a condition by the church of capitalism. So it's no wonder. I mean, it makes total sense. I, I give ourselves a break. We don't know better. Yeah. And we have this system to fight against. Not, not fight, but to work with, to work around. I think we can do it. It'll, just, it'll take awakening and practice. How long do you give us? Oh, huh. I'd like to say in 15 years, we'll be a very different society. Oh, a true optimist. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect and totally reset, but I think it's going to get really, really, really ugly in the next four years or so. The next four years are going to be even harder than we have imagined. And then on the other side of it is probably going to be growth and change, I'd like to think. That's very, a very aggressive timeline. I appreciate <laughs> it. I hope you're right. Yeah. Some things, some things can change. Not everything. I mean, us being a capitalist society, that's not going to... The roots go so far back that, I mean, we're not even aware of how bad it is. It's almost sort of like systemic racism where you think that you're immune to it because you're like, no, I have so many, I really don't see color, this and that. But then when you actually look at the history and study it, you're like, oh shit, no, no, it's there. It's there in me too. And I think, I think it's important that we do see color, appreciate color, and we appreciate diversity and the differences between us. I think it's a problem that we want everybody to be the same or equal. I think that's actually uh, misguided. This notion of equality is based in a system that's linear, right? So it's like there's the haves and the have-nots. So everyone wants to be equal in that everyone wants to be the haves but it doesn't account for the range of what happiness really consists of. It's not haves and have-nots, it's like a richer experience. So we're all trying to get a seat at the table and the table is corrupt as fuck. Why do you want to sit at that table? Like this whole like Oscar's so white thing. I'm like, oh, oh you, you want equality in a system that's basically designed to self-promote itself to create entertainment properties that hypnotize and seduce people into mindlessness for money that you want to be part of that system and like get oscars on that okay enjoy that but why not work outside that system and create real art and communication that inspires people and makes them question who they are what i find to be really encouraging and exciting is that there's always like a new a new way to go about things you know new information i'm always inspired again to re-engage. Just when you think you're like, fuck this, it's like, we're dead, just give up. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm just like, oh, wow, no, we can actually, yeah. So Lonely Well even, Lonely Well was, I was worried about Lonely Well for a second, but now we're like, we're back, and I'm really excited. So for 20 years, like always something new coming to keep me going. Super. Glad we got to do this. Yeah, I'm really super grateful. And congratulations on all the hard work. Thank you. Take care. Ciao. A big thank you again to Adrian Grenier for sharing his insight with us on ocean conservation and how to reset our relationship with the environment. You can find him on Instagram by his name and his nonprofit at www.lonelywhale.com. Refashioning the fashion industry really does start on a personal level. The more informed you are, the more you can make informed choices on how to be a better steward 
of our beautiful planet. It's the only one we got, okay? Unless we can make a quick exit to Mars. So if you like what you're learning here, follow us on Apple iTunes and keep up. We are about to lead into the fall, and we're looking forward to having conversations with Samantha of Red Carpet Green Dress and with professors of Cornell Veterinarian School of Toxicology to dig into how fashion affects our pets and our wildlife. ES Now is listener-supported, so if you can spare any of that extra change, just go ahead and throw it our way, and we will continue to keep you in the loop about all things sustainable fashion. Thank you for listening. And that's a wrap. Hey, this is Andrea in Cedar City. ES Now is a Holding Court production and is written and produced by Courtney Barriger. Music is by Parker Ainsworth. Fact-checked by Justin Howard. And a special thanks to Alexandra Schuck.